0: I'd like you to open once again this morning to Hebrews chapter 2. I say once again because that's where we opened up to last Sunday. I didn't intend for this to be a, a message beyond that one, but I have had a chance this week to think about what I said and feel like the Lord has added some things to it that I feel like are important for us to hear and especially at this time in life for us to hear. Our subject last week was in the form of a question. It is, has the faith movement passed? Has the faith movement passed? I got that question from somebody who had said to me they had heard people say that the faith movement had passed. And the more I thought about it after I read that, I wondered how many people even know what a faith movement was what it was supposed to be or what it was supposed to have done because it does not appear to me as a person who was in it. I was there when it began. I had the privilege of knowing a lot of people in it on both sides of the faith camp. And I had a chance to watch things develop in the last 30 years. I've seen it. But I wondered how many people today, especially of you younger folks, I wonder how many of you even know what is meant by the faith movement. We hear the word faith message a lot. And what exactly was a faith movement? Now, in answer to that, let me read, first of all, Hebrews 2, where he says, we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest at any time they slip. Now, the word slip means pass you by. A faith movement was, to me, in my humble estimation and opinion, was a divine move, a visitation of God in the 60s. It followed 20 years after the healing movements of the 20s, 30s, and 40s, in which there were spectacular things that happened. People went to spectacular meetings and saw miracles by various different healing ministries. They didn't learn how to trust the Lord. They just became aware of what God can do, especially in the physical realm with miracles and healing. In the 60s, there was a very solemn, it wasn't a big worldwide move so much. It was not even noticed by most people, but there was a move of God, which God began teaching people. It was a teaching ministry time. These teachers that began to be the teachers known around the country were usually set up by the full gospel businessmen. I followed them for several years. I spoke in various places for them from Australia to Hawaii to all around this country at various meetings and conventions. And you get to know people, people get to know you. And one of the things that came out of all of the teaching ministry was a simple word of faith and what it means. And I'd been in church as a boy, a Sunday school class, all of my life. I had heard the word faith used all of my life just like you had. And faith usually meant the kind of church you went to, the Baptist faith, the Methodist faith, or the Presbyterian Church of God, Pentecostal, Catholic, Episcopal faith. The word faith had no meaning except as an identification of the brand of of Christianity you embrace, but as to what it stood for, what all of the meaning of that system was, we didn't know. I was in the Christian church, Disciples of Christ. I really didn't care. All I knew was that I went to church, and I was a, a part of that, and, and in June the 30th, 1968, I got saved. It was the following year that Having been filled with the Spirit, that was this move of God, this baptism of the Holy Spirit, and the eyes began to be open, and teachers came on the scene, and there was this time in which we were interested in what was being said. We became aware of how little we actually knew about the Bible. We became aware that what we were following was not what God was saying. We were following a system. We were good Baptists and good Methodists and good so on and so forth. But as far as what the Bible meant by what it said, I didn't know. When I got saved, there were no cassette tapes. Everything was reel to reel. The first cassette tape I ever had was about that wide and about that tall. It was about that thick. It was a great big thing. then they reduced them down to the cassettes and, and they were easier transported around and carried and listened to. We begin to hear people talk about faith, the word faith what it means, how the Bible identifies the word faith. Well, I was newly filled with the Spirit, eager, rambunctious, and ready to go, 28 romping, stomping years old, dumb as a dumb person could be about spiritual things, but my heart was enlightened. Something was going on inside, and I really wanted to know what I believed. And I began reading the Bible, and I would ask questions. wonder why nobody ever talks about that. Filled with the Holy Spirit, I'd ask questions about tongues, and they would say, where have you been, and what's wrong with you, and stay away from that. Those people are crazy. I began to realize that the religious system that a lot of people admire so much is really talking people out of what God is doing. The very opposite of what it should be doing, it's doing, but that's the way man does it. And so I begin to learn about faith and begin to realize that faith is how we relate to God. Hebrews eleven six. 6, without faith, it is impossible to please him for he that comes to God. That's what I did. Hopefully, that's what you've done. He that comes to God, not to the church, he who comes to God must believe that he is tell me what believe means because i can mentally agree with things and call that believing but the devil believes i want to know what it means what god meant by believing he that comes to god must believe that he is And obviously, believing that he exists, that should have an effect on everything about your life. If you believe he is alive, he's listening, he's here, he'll never leave you nor depart from you, he knows what you're thinking, he knows where you're going, he knows the thoughts and intents of your heart, it obviously will change your life. And I've come to the conclusion at this time in my life that multitudes of people in our groups have never been saved because their lives have never been affected by the gospel. They have learned to tolerate, look for easy way outs, learn to make excuses, learn to dismiss themselves, find substitutes for why you have to live a certain way, but satisfy themselves. that I go to church? I sing songs. And they've missed the whole point. The idea behind faith is relationship. Christianity is not the relationship with a preacher in a church. It's a relationship with God who puts a preacher in a church to inform you of what he wants you to know. It's a walk. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We are kept by the power of God through faith. The victory that overcomes the world is even our faith. We're justified by faith. We're sanctified by faith. Everything has to do with faith, and without faith, you cannot please him, and mostly of all, by faith, we're saved. Such a word has been lying dormant in my Bible all these church years. Such a word with such promise and power that has never been exposed. I can imagine how Martin Luther felt at the time of the Reformation when it jumped off the page of him that man is justified by faith in God. Not by works, not by rituals and routines and going to meetings and doing all these kind of things and following little man-made procedures and doing it this way and this way. And then if you do all the things the system tells you to do, then you have a relationship with God? No, you're right with the system. Because you don't have to know God if you put the system before God. You don't need God. You got a system. My daddy was a Catholic. Until the end, and I pray that something good there happened at that meeting he had in the hallway with that Baptist preacher. But all of his life, he was counting on what he did in following the procedures that these Catholic system had taught him his whole life if he did all of those things and then they said you'll go to heaven He didn't know what the Bible said. He never read it He had been discouraged He told me that we don't read the Bible because we might read it wrong and then that would be a terrible sin So they let those who study it tell them what it says and then they believe that It's not a relationship with God. It's a relationship with the system. Well, that's what I had that's what I had. But when it came to faith, and as I look back and with the question, has the movement passed? A lot of people got involved in it. Oh, I guess a few thousand. And a lot of people learned how to quote the thing. They learned, one, what faith is, how to release your faith, how to act your faith, how to overcome, and they had all of that down pat. They were relating to a different thing now. Hopefully, they were learning how to live the life, but sadly, a lot of people learned the new system, but the character of the people never changed. They were as difficult and hard-headed after they learned the five principles as they were before. Still hard to get along with. Pastors' nightmares. Couldn't be taught. Difficult people. But the message of faith doesn't do that to you. Faith is drawing you out of a complacent nothingness into a relationship which has great meaning. It's about you and God. It's about you trusting in somebody you've never seen, never heard. It's about drawing nigh to him and counting on him to do what he said. A lot of people interpreted that as the faith message of just how to get something. And all the critics write the books on the name it and claim it and the error of the faith people. They don't even know what they're talking about. Because I think a lot of people did misunderstand a lot of things. Faith certainly is a way to receive from God. He that comes to God must believe that he is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But there is a higher purpose in faith than just getting your needs met, getting out of debt, getting your body healed and having a good marriage and kids in mind. There's more to it than that. Turn to James 1. The Bible says, obey my voice and we'll have a relationship. Obey my voice, Jeremiah 7, 23, and I will be your God and you shall be my people. What if we don't obey his voice? But how can we obey his voice if we don't know what he said? And how can we know what he said unless somebody teaches us? And if nobody's going to teach us, then we're going to be taught and trained to be satisfied with a meeting and a few biblical words and some kind of encouraging something story. And then we're going to go home, but we're not going to be any better off. All through the healing campaigns when God got the attention of the world, people didn't draw nigh to God. They looked for the healer. The only way to get healed was to go to a healing meeting. Their relationship was still man-centered. If I can get to him, if he can lay hands on me, if we can just get to the meeting, I can be healed. They didn't know how to receive from God. Nobody ever taught them. And the teaching movement that began in the 60s, It wasn't a spectacular thing because church people still don't like to be taught. They don't like to have to sit in a chair and learn about the Lord. Tell us a few things about him and let us go. We have other things to do. Now, the difference is when people do not grasp what God is saying, it passes by and eventually it is gone. The word slip means to drift on by and that's death. And then there were those during this time who grasped it. By the grace of God, we got it, and it became our life. It became the very thing, the very cause of your whole life. We began to undo ourselves from the ways of the world because that's not what God wants us to do. I must believe that this is the way I should live. I believe that God doesn't want me to dress that way, act that way, go there, hang out with these people, watch that or act like I don't think he wants me to do that. So my faith is in the fact that I'm affected by this. I'm not going to do that because I do not believe that God would have me do that. And begin to read later and read through the scripture, all these things that God wants me to do and not do. He says it's through believing that you purify your souls. 1 Peter 1:22. We purify our souls in believing. We're not cleansed by going to meetings, it's believing. It's grasping what God says and acting and living like it's so and like it's true. Not everybody did this. Very few actually as it look back now very few actually did this multitudes, most of the people that preached faith in the old days have already resigned and gone back to the world. It has passed them by. I think next Sunday I'm going to preach on a sermon called, Is Faith Obsolete or Absolute? Because if it's obsolete, then it's no longer relevant for today, and I'm wasting my time talking about it. But if I'm telling the truth this morning, then you have another opportunity to listen because God isn't through with people yet. This is the most endearing message that I have ever heard. I've heard a lot of them. I don't know how many thousand tapes or messages I've heard in my life. I've heard a lot of them, but none like this one. In James chapter one, here's the purpose of faith. You know this, but let me show you once again. This is what it's about. James chapter 1, God begins with faith and then gives us the reason why there was a faith movement, especially in the last days. Wherefore, count it all joy, brethren, when you fall into diverse trials, knowing this, that the testing of your faith... I never had a clue what that meant in my younger years in church. I don't remember anybody ever teaching on this. You talk about trials today and people think you're in jail or going to court. Because we're dense, we don't know any better. Nobody taught us because nobody had ever gone here because there was a fear that if you go there, people will think you're strange or weird. And they do and they will. And not everybody goes. But he says, knowing this, that the testing of your faith, you say you have faith in God. Do you really have faith in God? Do you really believe he'll supply your needs? Or do you really believe that he will heal your body or bring you a mate? Do you really believe he'll guide your steps? Do you really believe that if you put your hand to the plow, he'll supply your needs, that you don't have to grumble and gripe and complain the rest of your life about the world? Do you really believe that God will make a difference with you? Okay, you're going to find out if you believe that. That's all he says. You're going to find out. You've been taught you can believe that, and you say, I believe that. Well, we will find out if you believe that. God wants you to know whether or not you're following a crowd or whether you're relating to God, and there's no options, no substitutes, no options, one way only. You've got no other way. Now, you're going to find out. Now, will you endure? Will you hold fast to your faith? Because God may, for a season, let things look bad for you. Instead of feeling better, you're feeling worse. Instead of being encouraged, you're more depressed. Instead of the money coming in, the bills come in. And it looks like you've been taught wrong. I've heard that. Hyper-faith, they call it excessive faith, beyond what God said. Anybody that would trust God must be beyond with all your heart. And so you put your faith out there. It doesn't look like it's working. The bleeding doesn't stop. The children don't calm down. The money doesn't come in. The job market doesn't look better. In fact, since you prayed, not only has nothing changed, but it doesn't look much better either. And then you go to church and you hear all these testimonies of people, I got mine, I got mine, me too. Then you're sitting there and the devil says, well, it must not work for you. He must not love you. You get about half cranked up. Or will you still count it all joy and say, no, I'm glad for them, mine's coming. What will you do? You'll find out because a lot of people found out they really don't believe God. They found out they didn't. They wanted to because everybody in this time, in this movement, you're in a big group. And boy, I like this atmosphere. I like the singing because we learned to praise God back then. Oh, man, we had a reason to praise. And we liked it. And people talked about blessings and glory and honor. We liked it. And it was good. And then we got a hold to this faith and we begin to struggle. And he said, James said, knowing this, that the testing of your faith worketh endurance, will you hold fast? It means hold fast. Notice verse four, here's the purpose of faith. But let patience, which is the result of you believing something, but let patience have her perfect work. Let me ask you a question based on that verse of Scripture. Does God do a work in those who believe him and will not give up believing him? That you may be perfect and entire, lacking nothing. I saw a lot of people discouraged and eventually disgusted, blaming the teacher for their lack later on. 20 years later, they blame whoever taught them this message because their life seemed to be in a a heap, in a ruin. Divorced, drugs, alcohol, all kinds of things crept into their lives or their family. And they blame somebody else because they're not perfect and complete. Perfect means full stature. When Jesus said, I shall be perfected, it means I will have reached and finished my course. God says you start with faith It'll be tested so you're going to have to hold on and endure because what God is doing with you is making you stable and steadfast and unmovable. And the work he's doing inside of you as you're believing is eternal. We begin literally to partake of the divine nature that is inside of you. Because that's your relationship. It's not with the system. It's with God. And you begin to draw upon what he's teaching you. And his words become your life. And his words become your life. And you realize what he said. Jesus said, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Don't let this pass you by. When you have that wonderful opportunity to hear the word, don't let it go and say, I've already heard it. it. No, no, no. Get it while you can. There's a reason for God speaking to us. There's a reason for a divine visitation. There's a reason for all these things happening. Look at verse 22 of James 1. Purpose. But be ye doers of the word and not just hearers only. That's what the church does. That's what the system teaches. That's what the denominational system teaches. Just come and sit, don't rock the boat, enjoy the trip, and you're free to go home. Of course people on occasion are stirred, yes, 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 I was too. But by and by, it's a man-made system by man, for man, in the honor of man. And I'm not gonna take that back. Because that's what it is. And the very things that God wants to do and the very things that God promises to do, it's that system that prevents it. If they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it, he said, don't even fellowship with those people. What do you do with that? What do we do with that? The systems of man. Be doers of the word. And not just hearers only. Deceiving your own self. What does the word deceiving your own self mean? It means to draw false conclusions. When you hear the word, but you're not required to live it, just listen to what's being said. And then if you want to do it, you can, but you don't have to, because as our Baptist friends would say, if you have to do anything to be saved, it's works. If you put works of any sort there, then you've corrupted grace and you've added works to salvation. For example, if you tell me I must obey God and you tell me I have to do that to be saved, I don't have to obey God to be saved. You think, wait a minute. I don't have to walk by faith to be saved. I don't have to live by faith. I don't have to do any single thing to be saved. Now, that's the systems of man that has corrupted multitudes and multitudes for generations of church members. You're not saved because you did something, but you're not saved without doing something either. Read James 2. No man is saved because he earned his salvation. He comes to God and repents of his sins because there's nothing he can do. He must believe what the report is. And when he gets up off of his knees, he must realize that God has a message for him. He wants to teach him. And this message is very narrow, and it's not easy, and it's difficult. And you read, like in the Sermon on the Mount, all the things that Jesus requires of us. And this precious word that he gives to us, not because we deserve it, but because we have to have it. He gives it to us. This is the word we live by. If we don't want to live by this word, then as far as I'm concerned, we forfeited whatever we thought we had. We're all corrupt people. God sends his word. Didn't the Bible say he is a refiner of silver, Jesus? A smelter and refiner of silver. Do we need to be refined? Our biggest enemy is our thinking. Our mind was formed by the world. When God saved me, he didn't put a new brain in my head. I still got the old habits, the old frustrations, the old anger. Stuff that I grew up with and learned to do in all those aggravating times in my life, It's still there. I got a new heart. I got a new spirit. I got a new life inside of me. It's Romans 12 two, Be not fashioned according to this world, but be transformed. I thought I got saved. You were saved, but now you've got to be transformed. Like 1 Peter 1 says, receiving the end of your faith. You've got to believe what God says is true. You've got to live like it's true. You've got to act like it's true. You've got to talk like it's true. It's God you answer to, not the preacher. You've got to live and act and be like God wants you to be. This is what faith is. I believe this word is true what happens to man when he forgets the purpose? Or when we've been misled, like he said in James 1 you reach false conclusions. The word means you're misled. If you're not a doer of the word and just a hearer, you are being misled. You are being taken off course. Yes, you're a good church member. We're proud and glad and all that you're here. We'll all get to heaven. Well, all of that. But when you're not being a doer of the word and just listening to it, you are being misled. And nobody can do it for you. That's a choice you have to make because it's a personal relationship between you and God. Either you want to do it or somebody's telling you you don't have to. Maybe it's a preacher said, you don't have to do anything. He just cuts your spiritual throat. Because it is with difficulty, Peter said, that a righteous man enters into heaven. He said, labor to enter into that rest. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and narrow is the way that leads to life. Not everybody will make it. There's effort, there's labor, there's wrestling here. There's agonizing. It isn't easy. You do want to quit sometimes. You do feel left out. You feel like nobody understands, and why me, and I don't know, all this time, oh yeah. We've been there. I stand here today, I've been there, I've been through that. In 40 years, you get to do a lot of things. You get to quit, you get to turn back, You get to give up. You get to draw back to a crowd that doesn't go anywhere and and associate with that. And, well, I'm, you know, surely we're not all lost. You get to do that, too, if you want to. Or you can say, I remember when he came. I remember the effect and the power of his word in my life. I can look back and see everything in my life, all these Ebenezer stones in my life. He did this. He did this. He did this. He did this. I despaired here, and he did this. I didn't do well here, and he did it anyway. Oh, God, who am I that such a God would be in my life? I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back to where anybody else went back to if they went back because there's nothing, absolutely nothing back there. It looks good because the devil is a master. He's a seducer of men's lives. Doctrines of demons are very close to the real deal but they just bear off this way a little bit. They bear off that way a little bit. They lower down here a little bit. They give up a little bit here, and you think you're going well, but you're not because there is a way that seemeth right unto man, but they are the ways of death. It says that in Proverbs 16 and Proverbs 14. Listen to me again. There is a way, Christian, spiritual, there is a way that seems right to those that are in it. Preach a Bible, sing songs, send them missionaries, uh, talking about Jesus, community drives, march on Washington, <laughs> all of that dumb stuff. But it leads you nowhere. It's the system. It's the routine. It's the way the thing works and it makes you feel good about yourself, it makes you feel good about your efforts, at least you're not sitting around, you're out here busy helping your church in the community. And there is a way that seems right, I'm not against doing good now, but doing good is not an end in itself. But there is a way that seems right, but it's the ways of death. Turn back to Ephesians chapter five and verse six. This is how we have been misled. This is what misled us. The system, the way that seems right, and evil men. Verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh what? Now listen, let me start all over. I want you to get this. The Bible says, let no man, me or anybody else, let nobody deceive you with empty, useless Vain words. They may be full of poetry. They may be full of all quoting the Bible. You can quote the Bible. But you can make it say something it doesn't say or use it in a way that's not right. You know one of the main things in church today is psychology? There's this mindset that says, especially the bigger the church gets and the greater the cost of it running it, there's this mindset, if I can make these people happy and comfortable, they'll keep coming back and they'll bring somebody with them. Make them comfortable, make them happy. How do I do that? Don't make them mad, don't disturb them, don't get into issues, just stay on the gray area, and make everybody happy and comfortable, give everybody the option of believing what they want and say, you know, as long as you mean it with all your heart, you're okay. And you go off, you can marry five times if you want to. You can do a lot of things. Lie, cheat, and steal to keep your job. Cheat on your income tax because, well, you know, after all, I mean, they're, they're blowing this money on stuff anyway. I mean, why should I give mine? psychology, messing with minds. But the Bible warns us about how Eve was seduced in her mind by subtlety. And it's happening today. The bigger religion gets, the more humanistic it gets. In fact, I heard on a program once, the biggest church in America, they don't talk about sin because sin has an offensive ring to it. No joke. (laughs) And people are sitting there who need to be saved and are told they're all right. 20 years later, they can't get saved because they're hardened to their need for any more than they've got. And they are dead as they said. Their lives aren't changing. Their character hasn't changed. They're a part of a system. The system has put them to sleep and they're dying. And this is what God said in Ephesians 5, 6. Let no man deceive you with empty words for because of these empty, useless words cometh the wrath of God upon whom? Those who believe it do not obey God, they obey the system, and he calls them the children of disobedience. See, that sounds so harsh to us because even you, And I, in this hour, are beginning to be hardened to the narrowness of the gospel. I've heard of the dumbing down of America. I heard the other day a father took his son out of public school, he was in the eighth grade, he didn't know, he thought Pearl Harbor, literally thought Pearl Harbor was a movie. He saw on the History Channel the actual, he said, was that real? And the father said, my goodness, kids in the eighth grade, took him out of school, had him tested, reads at a fourth grade level. Who cares? He's in school, isn't he? We got the best school in the community. We got all the best equipment in it. Teachers run around in shorts and halters. There's no dignity. Look in the church today. You know, they come to church today in flip-flops and cutoffs and old raggy-looking T-shirts singing hey, man, me and Jesus are cool, all that trash. Where did it come from? Who brought that into this? What if a priest had gone before God in the old days, in his flip-flops, he would have been toast at the door. People would have gone, man, I smell something burnt. Is that a priest? Somebody said to me once, why are you wearing suit and tie time? Because I got a lot of them. <laughs> no, no. When I get in here and stand here, this is my life. I'd rather do what I'm doing now than anything else in this life I can think of anything. And yet this is one of the most discouraging things I ever do, ever. And it's the pressure after it's over is just you wouldn't understand. But this is what I like to do. I get one chance on Sunday, one chance on Wednesday, and too many people act like they don't care. Too many people, I can't speak for your Vision, but too many of you here miss church on Wednesday night like you don't need it. That's not good. Well, I just, you know, I don't like this or that. I don't like the town either. God say, listen, I'd like to send you to some. Where would you like to go? I'll start a church where you want to go. You know why I'm here in this town? Because God sent me here. I'm attached to no village and town in the world. I've lived in Kentucky 36 years. i live lived in Indiana 34 years, in Ohio one year. I don't really care where I live. I'm sure I dread some places, but I'm here because God sent me here. I want to do my best here. I want everybody who listens to realize it, do your best too. We want to treat God like you're very important to me, like you're my life. I don't want to take anything you say for granted. I don't want to let anything miss, and I don't want a dumb ball game to keep me from church. I want to have my values right. I want to have everything the way it should be. I want to do it right. Don't let somebody talk you out of it. Jesus said beware of leaven, didn't he? That's doctrine. Beware of what you're hearing. Beware of how you're hearing it. Turn to Matthew 23. Jesus said this also. In verse 13, this is somewhat strong. I don't think this age, this hour we're in is exactly ready for this, but it's in their Bible, so they don't have a choice. But he said in verse 13, Matthew 23, he said, Woe! Unto you scribes and Pharisees. Now here's the system and here's the man-made system, the man-pleasing system, and this is what that system is doing to people, which is why there was a movement came in the first place to call us out of it. In fact, most of you here that don't live here came out of a church. I had to get out of the one I was in because I knew if I stayed in it, I was going to become like it, and I knew it was going nowhere. It was just a ritual. I got out of it, and here I am. You got out of wherever you were, and here you are. And there are lots of people that will never leave wherever they are because they can't leave home. If the devil lived there, they wouldn't leave. If the devil reigned and ruled, and there was not a church within 50 miles, 100 miles, they wouldn't move because they're stuck. We're pilgrims. How many of you know we're sojourners? Walking through life. Heaven's our home, city made without hands. That's what we're looking for. Well, here's what he said to the Pharisees, and this is how we got deceived. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, preachers, you hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. Obviously, they want to go, for you neither go in yourselves, neither allow them that are entering to go in because they have control over people. Wouldn't you say that? You don't allow people to go deeper than what you are because you won't go there yourself and you won't allow them to go? That's control. Look at verse 15. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you can pass sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, listen to it, you, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourself. The Pharisees were the religious whodunits of their age. Nobody appeared to be more spiritual than they. And Jesus said, your life is so bad, your attitude, your methods, your ways are so corrupt that when you make a convert and you indoctrinate him with your system, he is twice as much a child of hell as you are. How many of you know that wasn't a compliment? But that's what Jesus Christ said. Now, Revelation. This is what I want to say this morning. This is what I came to say. We got the introduction. Now let's get into this. Revelation chapter 2, verse 6 and verse 14. But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. In one verse of Scripture, is there anything that God hates? Now, I know you might be a little timid with that, but does the Bible say that God hates anything? What does he hate? He hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans, whatever they were, whoever they were. Some say it was a former bishop in the church, Nicholas, who fell away and began to preach heresy and taught they could eat food, sacrifice to idols, and get involved in the idol worship and all those orgies and wild free-for-alls they had. Well, the flesh loved that, and so he said, well, you know, God made the body. He made the way it feels. So, I mean, there couldn't be anything wrong with it. He made it that way. A deception. I don't know if that's what Nicolaitans means or not. I know the word Nicholas or Nikolai comes from the root or the family of words from which we get Nike or Nikos or Nike. The word from which we get overcomer. Nike means to conquer, or to overcome. So Nicholas, Nicolaiatans, conquer, and Laiatans, or Laos, the people, it literally means to conquer the people. And when the people, if that's true, you search it out for yourself. If that's true, and one writer goes so far as to say it means the destruction of the people, because they are conquered by a system of error, the error in the system will destroy the people because of the vanity of their life when they stand before God. Now, if this is true, because you read in 14, in the rest of this chapter, you read about Balaam, the doctrine of Balaam, and a lady named Jezebel, who obviously, to me anyway, had to do with spiritual truths or spiritual flaws, spiritual errors, a spiritual truth which involves a flaw and an error. Jezebel was the one who set up all these idols and made it really fun to do all that kind of stuff and corrupted the whole nation. Balaam was the one who could not curse God's people, but he was able to inform Barak that, you know, if these little Hebrew boys run over and get to mingling with these girls, you know, and mess around, God will judge them for that. And that's what happened. It's a teaching that deviates from the way of truth. It's a doctrine that tells you that, you know, well, we know God said that, yeah, but after all, don't you think? Okay, I've been married four times. But look, don't, don't you think God understands that because of, that, that I, I mean, what am I supposed to do, live like this the rest of my life, live single? Huh? I mean, who does that? So you see, you start taking humanism into the picture, and you begin to reason with yourself, not with Scripture, but with human things. Next thing you know, you can do whatever you want to, and nobody wants to be your judge, because isn't that the most popular verse in the world? Judge not. So you're allowed to sit there. Nobody's ever corrects you. You're allowed to do what you want to do. Nobody says a thing about it. And because of vain words, you're living a vain life. In our mouths, in these pulpits, I just realized yesterday it kind of chilled, a little little chilling, you know, you're going to stand before God, not only give an account for everything you've said, but a whole lot of things you should have said that you didn't. Because, you know, if you said that, people will not take that well. I'm sitting there thinking at times I should have told people, you have never been born again. And I knew that would be one screaming dive bomber. I knew that would be a mess, but I knew it was true. But out of the fear of the consequences of saying it, it didn't say it. That's a weakness. And pulpits are full of weakness, it should not be. God deliver us from that. Because we have only God that we have to answer to. And he gives us what to say and how to say it. But this Nicolaitan spirit That's in the world, not in some place. It's in the world. It is a system that controls people. It is a system that the people cannot break from. My daddy was in a Nicolaitan system. There was no other chance of him ever doing anything else. He genuflected and made the cross and read the rosary and did his Hail Mary full of grace all of his life. It was a routine. It was a ritual. It was a system that somebody somewhere in history devised. And all the ornaments of that and all the pageantry of such a religion is all for a show and to impress people that this is what you want. It has nothing whatsoever to do with Jesus. Nothing And yet it's a system that man are conquered by. Just conquered by it. As I said earlier, they have a form of godliness, but they deny the power of it. They have a form. It looks right. It sounds right. It'd be hard to criticize it. But in their teaching, oh, now look, look. They would say this. I'm talking about the fundamental premillennial fighting whatever folks would say this, the most fundamental of all of them. We know that God could heal. God's able to heal, but now today he's not doing it that way. Is that right? How's he doing it? Well, we leave it up to God now. What page? What chapter? Did he put gifts of healings in the church? Has the church passed away? You better hope it hadn't because you're here. Did he put gifts in the church? Did he say these signs shall follow those who believe? They shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover? Then it's not gone. Does it say that you call for the elders of the church and the prayer of faith will heal the sick? Then who's telling us it doesn't work? Who said that? Some refined, educated, well-versed doctor degree or no degree preacher. And the people were in the system and they listened to it and nobody opposed. It must be all right. And they get sick and they die and they can't understand why. I go to church. I prayed. I asked God to do something. He said, well, you have to have faith. Well, I have faith. They all say that. Who taught us this? those religious systems. I'll say it again. Some of the biggest, most fundamental groups in the country that pride themselves on the pure gospel are the ones that talk you out of the power of God. They don't want Mark 16, the last verse 15, they don't want that to be in the Bible. They don't know what to do with it. Healing, they tell you it's not for today. That God gave us doctors today to heal. That is ignorant. When did God ever start charging for healing? Hospitals reject people today if they don't have insurance. Is that God? Wake up. Go to the cross and say, Lord God, I just want it your way. I just want it your way. In Matthew 23, again, in verse 28, Jesus said, even so, you folks outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within you're full of hypocrisy and iniquity and dead men's bones. You look good. The system looks good. It sounds good, but you know what he said? He said, inside, inside, not only inside of the people, but inside of the church the people rule in. He said, while you look good, you're full of dead men's bones. It's dead. It's dead. People are still afraid. People still run to the world's way. People still can't see how they're ever going to make it in life without money from a bank. In spite of 30 years of teaching that has been taught many times, it has come back to the same old questions, the same old stalemate that people had 30, 40 years ago. I'm telling you this morning, the vestiges of what I've learned, what came into our heart and captured. If I didn't walk by faith, I wouldn't be qualified to stand here. If I'm unwilling to trust the Lord, I shouldn't tell you to trust the Lord. I'm just saying that in the last days, as Bible said, evil men and seducers will wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Now, in coming to a close, what then is the consequence of all of this? If people have heard this, set it aside and are trusting in a system, what's going to happen? Turn to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter two, verse nineteen. Talking about these ministers who are talking you out of your faith. God could, God has, but He probably won't today. Those people. He said, while they promise them liberty, they themselves, these preachers, are the servants of corruption. For of whom a man is overcome, the same is brought into bondage. Or people are slaves of whatever controls them. Or a person is a slave to whatever he gives into. If you're following the preacher, and you're not checking out the preacher's words to see if what he's saying is right, but you're just following him because he's good old brother Tom, or good old brother Jack, or whatever, and you're just doing it because, well, he should know. We're just trusting that he's saying the right thing. You better check it out for yourself. Because chances are you're gonna follow for what you hear, but you should follow what God shows you. I'm not here to be anybody's conscience. I'm here to tell you what I believe the Lord says. It's your responsibility to either believe that or find out what you believe because God will hold us all accountable. I'm in verse 20, looking at four or five words here, and I'm going back 35 years now, 40 years, actually 42 years. Well, let me make it 40. That was when it started. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, through the teaching ministry that God gave them, it's teaching, and if they are again entangled therein in the world and its pollutions or contaminants or its defilements and overcome, your Bible says the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. Well, what was the beginning? You were lost. What can be worse than being lost? Think of that. What can be worse than being lost? What about the verse in 1 Timothy 3, it says, if if any man provide not for his own, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. An infidel is an unbeliever. Infidel's not talking about Americans, Christians, and Jews. Infidel in the Bible means an unbeliever. Worse than an unbeliever, that must mean judgment of really a bad sort. God is serious. And after they escape the pollutions. He said, if they are again entangled, the word entangled means braided. Things are mingled in and tied tight. In other words, mingled in such a way that chances are they'll never get unwound. You just start drifting away from the truth and from the way you learn to walk and and God did this and did this and then you kind of slow down, maybe getting older and you got a little more money now and you're a little freer. And you start looking around a little bit and then you start kind of easing up a little bit and then you kind of do it this way and then you kind of fool around here and you get involved a little bit over here in the world and you start... You know, oh I go, I know, I know all the routines. I've been to church and all that. Next thing you know, you're drifting around and you're going nowhere. A lot of people started in this way 40 years ago, and 30 years later, they made a huge circle, and they're literally back where they started. But now they got a new wife. They're back to drinking their beer again. They're back and going to their parties again and lewd things again. That's what God brought them out of, and they're back while a movement came and they were in it. They were in it. Boy, you better pay attention. They are getting tangled in it and overcome. The latter end is worse than the beginning. Verse 21 says, it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But... It has happened unto them according to the true proverb in Proverbs 26. The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. If the religious system they were in before God called them out of it was called vomit, then a lot of people are in vomitism. And if you're in vomitism, you're a vomitite. It's an ugly word word vomit is one of those words that the Bible uses that you don't like to hear, like the word whore, whoremonger, or vomit. That's nasty. That's God's way of describing what's wrong with a lot of church folks. You heard it. You got it. Like the sower in the seed, immediately with joy you receive it, and then you kind of wonder why everybody's having a problem. You sort of back off a little bit yourself. You get entangled in things in the world, get some new friends in the world. One day you realize you're no different than you were 35 years ago. Same kind of person. But now you're bound to it. Turn to Hebrews 6. How many of you know that if you turn back to the world, that's a choice you make? Nobody can make that choice for you. That's your choice. Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 4. This is not a very handy verse of Scripture for a lot of people. But it says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened, that's when the revelation came, and have tasted of the heavenly gift, that would be Christ, and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost, charismatic, And have tasted the good word of God. They enjoyed that. Man, that was rich. Oh, man. And the powers of the world to come. They saw miracles and they got healed themselves. Here's something that didn't happen to a newcomer, but this is somebody who was in a movement of some sort and experienced a bunch of things. And the Bible says it is impossible if they have done all of that. If, verse 6, if they fall away, it's impossible to renew them again into repentance. They're crucifying the Lord all over. This new life they live is the very reason Jesus died, and they're doing it again. They're crucifying the Lord with their lives. What a terrible thing for a man to find himself in. One translation says, for how can those who abandon their faith be brought back to repent again? They were once in God's light. They tasted heaven's gift. And receive their share of the Holy Spirit. How can they be renewed? What could you tell a man who's been enlightened about repentance that he doesn't already know? You're going to say Jesus loves you? He's heard that. He preached that. Did you know that God sent Jesus? He knew that. He's already heard that once. He gave his heart to the Lord because of that years ago. Now you get hard to it because you've abandoned that. And it doesn't work anymore. It just doesn't work anymore. What a terrible, terrible place for a human being to find himself in in this life at this hour. What a terrible situation. You walked away, and you can't come back. It's a little word called faith. One little word is faith. It means to take God at his word and count on him to do what he said no matter the circumstances. And he puts such an emphasis on it and I'm gonna close with this in Hebrews 10. This is what he says in the last two or three verses of chapter 10. He said in verse 38, he said, now the just shall live by faith. Is that what your Bible says? Let me add this to it. The just are those that have been made right with God. Their sins have been removed, and they stand before God just as if I'd never sinned. You're clean. God made you clean. And now that you're clean, what does he require? Anything? He says here, the just shall live how? By By faith. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, like Moses endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now I must also live as believing that God is, even though I can't see him, I don't hear him. All I have is this word which people say has been polluted, but that's all I got. So I'm going to live like this word is true, whether anybody else does or not. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Because there's not many people that will, but you will. But here's what he said. Here's the deal. The just shall live by faith, but. But if any man draw back, what does God say to those that draw back? He said, my soul. God says, my soul, me. My soul shall have no pleasure in them. Is that what God says? So how big a deal is faith? Faith is simply living like God and his word are true. I live like it's soul. I act like it's so. My life is determined by the word. For when I'm a doer of the word and not just a hearer only, I find favor with God and he blesses me. I want to be blessed. He said he would. And so he said, if any man draw back, the word hoopastello means to cower, means to be timid. Remember Paul said in Acts 20, he said, I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. Remember that? The word shunned is our word draw back. He said, if any man draws back, God says, my soul has no pleasure in him. The only relationship you can have with God and the only right way you can please God is by believing that he is. If you draw back from that, there's no other options. God gives you no options, no substitutes, nothing else is right. And he says, my soul has no pleasure in him. In fact, he ends by saying in verse 30, we're not of those who draw back unto perdition, but those who do what? Believe, to what goal? The saving of the soul. Perdition is death. I don't mean to be hard. I'm trying to be honest with God this morning about what he said, and if you wanna understand, hope he gives it to you, But if this is the last day on earth for any of us, at least we heard it. Amen. He said, if any man draw back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We're not of those that draw back into perdition, but those who believe to the saving of our souls. Or 1 Peter 1, now we receive the end of our faith, which is the salvation of our souls. God says, if you draw back, we don't have a relationship. You're still religious. You're still in the system. You're still going through all the motions of it. You're still the preacher in the church and doing all the things that you do. But if you're drawn back from faith, you have no relationship. You have no relationship with God. That's on video now. I can't change it because you can't edit those things. But it's the truth. Now, we don't have another hour, but if I did, we would right here begin with, The underlying deep problem is the fear of God. We just don't fear the Lord. We treat him like a buddy, a good guy, but we don't tremble in his presence. We don't tremble at his word. We've just sort of been taught that he understands. It's okay. It's all right. He knows you're just in the flesh. He knows you're just, he knows. Come on. Come on. Hath God said, Eve, come on, girl. God help us. Would you bow your head with me? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, your word has its solemn phrases and solemn moments and solemn places. It has those places where as we meet with you, we must be still. We must put our hand to our mouth and let you speak. You must speak to us, O Lord. Many times we are stiff-necked and hard-headed and stubborn, difficult to get along with because we've never let your word get inside to our character. And, Lord, we've got to change. So help us to be still, to give this more earnest heed to what you have said, to think about what you've told us. We want you to guide us into your truth. We want to walk in your light. Deliver us from evil and from evil men. Deliver us from seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Make us to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith, knowing that if we're not, then we are reprobates. It is narrow, Lord, but it should be. So give us insight and understanding. Let nobody be free this morning from considering his own or her own life. Deal with everybody before me, Lord. Let us not escape the time you speak to us and draw us together. I ask you to do all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.